Welcome to this message from the teaching ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Orlando, Florida, under the leadership of Senior Pastor Mike Osborne. Now let's give attention to the reading of God's holy word. We're going to be turning to John chapter 3. Thanks, Dan. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born again when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter the second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds might be exposed. But whoever lives by truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. The word of the Lord. Before I preach, let me pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here with me, and I pray that you will speak through me and that you will help us to see this text in a new way. Uh, I know many of us have grown up hearing John 3.16, and we know this text well, but I pray that uh, you will help us learn new things and be challenged and changed from this text. Lord, I'm also reminded that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word stands forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the past few weeks, Mike has been preaching through the book of Philippians, And he has defined what the gospel is, the good news of Jesus Christ. Next week, he'll continue on our study of Philippians by looking at Philippians chapter 3. If you have your worship guide, inside it is a sermon discussion guide 
for next week. So make sure and bring that next week and you'll get a leg up if you look through it and prepare for next Sunday sermon. But for this week, I'd like to continue talking about the gospel by looking at the man Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And we're going to look at this outline briefly. The man of Nicodemus, the work of the Holy Spirit, the sin of man, faith in Jesus Christ, and living in the truth. That's what we'll cover this morning in just a few minutes here. Now, the man of Nicodemus, who was this guy, Nicodemus? If you look in verse 2, you begin to see that he was a teacher of the law. In fact, his name, Nicodemus, means conqueror of the people. And he lived true to his name because he was very influential in his society. He lived in Jerusalem, studied the text well. He, He began to learn the Old Testament and also the traditions of the Pharisees. And he sat really with the chief priest in the Sanhedrin. So he was a man of status. He was a man of wealth. He was a man of knowledge. And we think he was probably a man around his 70s. So had a lot of experience, a lot of success, and just had a lot to offer because he was a man who was well-known in the scriptures. But what's interesting here is that Nicodemus ends up hearing about this man, Jesus. And Jesus was in his 30s, a man about 40 years younger than Nicodemus around, give or take a few years. And he hears about this man, Jesus, and hears about all these miracles that Jesus had been performing and all this incredible teaching that Jesus was speaking with. He, he, he spoke with authority. And Nicodemus was intrigued by this character Jesus. But if we look at, when we look at this first part of the text. It says that Nicodemus went to see Jesus in the evening. Now why do you think Nicodemus went in the evening to see Jesus? He went in the evening because if he had gone during the day. People would have known who he was talking to. His Pharisee friends, pharisaical friends, and teachers of the law didn't like Jesus. They didn't like what Jesus was teaching. They didn't like what Jesus was doing because Jesus was teaching things that they had never heard before. He was doing things that they had never seen done before. And because of that, they felt threatened by Jesus. They didn't like what Jesus was doing. And these were the same people that would end up putting Jesus on trial and crucifying him later. And so they could not, or they they just despised Jesus. They could not stand him. And so the fact that Nicodemus was a part of their their own, and he would go and talk to Jesus, was a no-no. So that's why he went in the evening. He didn't want anybody to know he was talking to Jesus. But it's amazing as we start to see this conversation play out, what is being said here. Because Nicodemus comes in, and he identifies Jesus as a teacher, For him to tell Jesus, to say rabbi to Jesus, meant that it showed a great humility in Nicodemus because he was identifying a younger man as a great teacher. So we see some good in Nicodemus already off the bat. But then we begin to see that Nicodemus really doesn't quite understand what the gospel is about. Look with me in verse 2. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. And in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Nicodemus responds, how can a man be born when he's old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. 
And then Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. And then Nicodemus responds by asking, how can this be? So immediately right off the bat, we learn that Nicodemus doesn't quite understand what Jesus is talking about. In verse 2, Nicodemus just wants a simple answer from Jesus. He just wants to know that God sent Jesus to do these things. And all he wanted Jesus to answer was by one word, yes. But Jesus, if you read the Gospels, he often doesn't answer and give you one-word answers. He gives you an in-depth, big-picture type answers. And he did that because Nicodemus, if he had heard Jesus just say, yes, I came from God, and that's why I do these miracles, Nicodemus would have just said, oh, great, that's all I needed to hear, now I'm gone. Because Nicodemus just wanted to be convinced that this happened to be from God. But Jesus knew that Nicodemus needed so much more. He knew that Nicodemus needed a heart transplant. Because see, the problem is Nicodemus, he knew a lot about God, but he didn't really know God. You know, I, I know a lot about my wife, Stephanie. I know her birthday. I know where she was born. I know what kinds of food she likes. I know her hobbies. But if I don't really know her, then our marriage wouldn't go well. For example, if I didn't know her struggles, if I didn't know her joys, if I didn't share our, if we didn't share emotions with one another, then our marriage would be pretty dull. And so often people outside of the church, they may know about Jesus, but they don't really know him. They aren't experiencing him to a different degree or a different level. And it's sad that they're missing out on something so profound and incredible. A few years ago, my family and I were taking a, a trip out west, and we happened to go visit the Mormon tabernacle. It was beautiful, immaculate. The aesthetics were amazing. I've never seen anything like it. The people there were very friendly. They were loving, smiled the whole time, very engaging. Any question we asked, they would answer with a smile. They were just loving people. And then the more and more we began dialoguing with one another, the more I began to see, wait a second, they know about Jesus, but they don't really know him. Let me give you an example. At the very end of the tour, the lady that was taking us around the tour, she was talking about their faith, and I just asked a simple question. I said, what are your views of, on Jesus? How do you view him? What do you believe in Jesus? Like, how do you believe in Jesus? And she just looked at me shocked and said, I don't really have an answer for that. I don't really know and I said excuse me just a you know simple question and she said yeah I don't really have a response well the more I began studying the faith of the Mormon faith I I realized that they don't believe that Jesus is God you know they they say that our their religion is very similar to Christianity but in all reality when you begin to hear their message it's completely different and there's many other religions and many other people outside of these walls that may know about the Christian faith, but do they really understand it? And this is essentially what Jesus is talking about with Nicodemus. He realizes Nicodemus, he knows his stuff for the most part, but he doesn't really get it. 
And so that's why he takes them on this journey by going through the truths of the faith. And he begins by talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, why do you think he was talking about the Holy Spirit first? Once again, he realized Nicodemus needed to understand that he needed to be changed from within. And I don't know about you, but there are truths of the Christian faith that I wrestle with. It's hard for me to understand the Trinity, (laughs) that there is a God in three persons, three in one, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's difficult to really wrap my mind around this idea of the Holy Spirit. But when I look into the word, I know that this is God's word. And if it says it, I'm going to believe it. And not only that, I'm an example of how the Holy Spirit has changed someone. And many of you in this room are too, if not most of us. You see, there's something supernatural that happens within our soul. And it's the Holy Spirit that completely changes us. If it were up to us and our own doing, we wouldn't change. We would continue to walk in our sinful ways. So that's why we needed something much bigger than we ever imagined to come in and wake us up. And that's what Jesus is talking about to Nicodemus. He's saying, you need a heart transplant. You need to be revived. You need CPR because you're dead. After he talks about the Holy Spirit, or as he talks about the Holy Spirit, he begins to describe it in verse 8 as the wind, like the wind. It says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So we don't, just like the wind, we can't see it. We can't see its effects. We can't see its forcefulness. I remember as a kid, I lived in Birmingham, Alabama, and my family and I were in the middle of a tornado, believe it or not. I remember it to this day. It was scary. We were in our basement watching trees literally being uprooted from the ground. The winds were that strong. And as I was preparing for this message last night or yesterday afternoon, I realized that's what the Holy Spirit does. He uproots us. He has that kind of force that changes us. It's amazing. Now, as Jesus goes on, he describes the fact that he needs the Holy Spirit to change his heart. But he also goes back to a sin. In verse 10, Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people don't accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Jesus is saying, your heart is hard. You're not open to what I'm sharing. You're not being changed by what is going on because you don't really believe that I am who I say I am. Jesus is pointing this out because he wants to remind Nicodemus in order for him to fully rely upon the Holy Spirit to change his heart and for him to believe in Jesus, he must own his sin. He must realize that he is dead and he needs to be waken up. A few years ago, I heard an example of a guy named Bob. And Bob went to the prison, the local prison, and he was just doing prison ministry work. And there were probably about 100 inmates there, just rough guys. And he calls up this guy from the audience named Tom. He says, Tom, come on up here. 
And he says, Tom, I want you to lay flat on, the, on your back on the ground. And he says, I'm going to call somebody up in just a moment. And I'm going to ask him to do things that may cause you to wake up. But he said, Tom, I want you to be still. I want you to keep your eyes closed and don't move. So Tom said, <laughs> I can get this. I'm the man. So anyway, he comes forward. He lays down completely silent, eyes closed, mouth shut. Then he calls up Bill. And Bill comes up and Bob says, Bill, I want you just to go up to Tom and stand over him and just talk in a normal voice and say, and say, uh, uh, what was it, Tom? And say, Tom, you're dead. You need to wake up. So Bill said, I can do that. So Bill gets up there and he says, Tom, you're dead. You need to wake up. So, of course, what does Tom do? He stays still and quiet and doesn't move. So then Bob challenges Bill. He says, Bill, I want you to get a little bit closer to Tom, and I want you to speak a little bit more firm. And I want you to say, Bill, you're dead. Wake up. So he gets over to Tom, and and he says, Tom, you're dying. Wake up. Bill doesn't wake up. He's good. The guys in the audience are starting to clap. They're saying, good job. I'm impressed. So finally, Bob says, okay, man, Bill, I want you to get down on your knees and yell as loud as you can at this guy and see what he does. So anyways, Bill gets down Tom's face and he says, Tom, you're dying. Wake up. You need to wake up. What what does Tom do? He doesn't move. Doesn't wake up. Doesn't blink an eye. Everybody, it's a riot at this point. Everybody's cheering and saying, oh, my goodness, I can't believe he's doing this. This It's amazing. I can't believe he didn't, he didn't move. Well, the point that, that Bob made was this. He says, this is us before the Holy Spirit changes our hearts. We are completely dead in our sins and our wrongdoings. We can't move. We need somebody to literally do CPR on us and revive us and wake us up. And that's what the Holy Spirit does to us. We can't do it alone out of our own doing. We have to have something much bigger than us, something supernatural to wake us up and change us. And that's the point Jesus is making to Nicodemus. Jesus then goes on to talk about the importance of faith. He says, once you've been revived by the Holy Spirit and confessed your sins, you believe in Jesus Christ, believe in me. And he goes into talking about, if you look at verse 16, the most famous passage that you hear. Remember Tim, Tim Tebow, he had those, that paint on his face that said John three sixteen. It was great. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. So the point that Jesus is making is if you believe in me and you trust that the Holy Spirit is waking you up and you confess your sins, you are a believer. As I was looking at this text I thought about a famous hymn, and it's called Rock of Ages. And in that hymn, it says this. Let the river and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. I remember when I first heard the song as a kid, I thought, what in the world does that mean? And there are a lot of old hymns where the language is difficult to comprehend. But as you begin to unpack this simple phrase here, it says, Be of sin the double cure, cleanse me from its guilt and power. What that means is Jesus offers us 
not one cure, but a double cure. He offers us a cure from the freedom of sin's penalty, of sin's guilt. In other words, because he has died on the cross for our sins, we are no longer guilty in the eyes of God. I often use an analogy that that you may have heard before, but it's an an analogy of you being in the courtroom and you are a murderer. You're a mass murderer. And you know you did it. Everybody and their mother knows that you did it. And they know that you are going to be sentenced to death the very next day. You're going to be put on the chair the next day because of your heinous crimes. But all of a sudden, right when the verdict happens, the judge, who is God in this example, looks over at you and says, you are innocent. Thinking, what? I know I'm a mass murderer. And everybody else knows it too. You're calling me innocent? And then he does so much more than that. He looks over at his son who is on the other side of the courtroom and he says, you're guilty. And he takes it another step further. He says, you as my son Jesus are perfect and you're good. All your goodness is going to be put on this mass murderer. That is freedom. And that is the gospel. The fact that we are criminals... But because of what Jesus did on the cross, God sees goodness in us. He sees his son. He doesn't look at our sin anymore and shake his head. He puts it all on his son, Jesus. And he puts the goodness of Jesus, his son, on to us. That's what it means to be free from sin's penalty. We no longer need to be feeling guilty. You know, I'm, I'm horrible at this, I'll be honest. I mean, there are times where I just look back on my past mistakes And it's hard for me to move forward. I can't beat myself up over it. But the point of the gospel is, stop beating yourself up. God is so much bigger than your sin, and he has forgiven it. So move forward. Trust in the Holy Spirit. The second part of the cure, the double cure, is that we are free from sin's power. And the point that Augustus Toppledy, the writer of Rock of Ages, is making is that We are no longer under the control of the evil one. When God changes our soul and our heart, we are under the control of Jesus. Because before we were under the dominion of darkness and under the control of Satan. But now we are under the dominion of light and under the control of his son Jesus. So no more are we under the power of sin. So that's what the double cure is. It offers us Freedom from sin's penalty and freedom from sin's power. But the issue that we face today has not been solved yet. And that is that we are still affected by sin's presence. We're still tempted to sin. In fact, probably all of us, when we leave here today, sometime this afternoon or this week, are going to be tempted to do something we shouldn't do. So what do we do when we're tempted? What do we do when sin is still lurking among us and around us? Well, the first thing we do is rely upon what I just told you, the grace of God. And know that your sins that you've committed in your past, present, and future are already forgiven. That doesn't give you the the license to do whatever you want, but it gives you some encouragement and reassurance that Jesus is who he says he is. And that it's not up to you. To do good things. It's been done for you. But the second thing I would say we need to do. 
is rely upon the Holy Spirit. But that also requires us to have some responsibility as well. And this is where it's difficult to understand God's sovereignty and our responsibility. But I just read an example from a guy named Jerry Bridges in the book Respectable Sins. And he says, the Holy Spirit and us work this way. It's like a motor running on electricity. The motor's doing a lot of the work, right? But it won't be able to run without some form of electricity. And he says, so we are to be doing that as well. We're the motor and the Holy Spirit is the electricity. And in order for us to keep going, we have to have the Holy Spirit working in and among us to walk in obedience and to become more and more in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so first I encourage you to be reassured of the grace of God, but also be reassured that you aren't doing this alone, that you have the Holy Spirit to help you in life as you deal with the presence of sin. After he talks about faith in Jesus and in himself, he goes on to explain once again that there are people who won't get it. In verse 18, he says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that he has done or what he has done has been done through God. So the point he's making here is that some people will understand and some people won't. And let me just say, we have Easter coming up. And Easter is a great opportunity to invite our non-believing friends, our family, our neighbors, who don't go to church, who may know a little bit about Christianity, but don't really understand it fully. So I would encourage us to invite our friends to this upcoming Easter service on April 8th. Because there are people that God will change. I'm reminded of this, of this idea that there is never a heart that is too hard that God can't change. If he can change my heart, my wicked heart, and he, if he can change your wicked hearts, he can change anyone's. So we have to have hope and faith that he will change the non-believers' hearts. But in verse 21, he says, what do we do with all this? He says, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. What's interesting here is that after that, you don't hear anything about Nicodemus in chapter 3. And so you're left wondering, okay, did Nicodemus really understand it? Did he get it? Whatever happened to good old Nicodemus? Well, look with me in John chapter 7, if you have your Bibles. Turn to John chapter 7, verse 45. And let's see what happens to good old Nicodemus. It says here that finally the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Has any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? And they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Now, what's happening here? We're starting to see a, a change, a progression in Nicodemus' life. We don't know yet if he fully understands it, but we're seeing a progression. What I mean by that is, he is sticking up for Jesus. 
His friends, his fellow co-workers, the teachers of the law, are trying to get Jesus and accuse him of something that Jesus didn't do. And they're trying to crucify Jesus. And so they send their guards to go and get Jesus. But when the guards went to see Jesus and began hearing Jesus' message, they were changed. They were excited. They realized this guy isn't doing anything wrong. So I'm not going to bring this guy in. And so they come and give the report to Nicodemus' friends, his co-workers. And what, are the, what does his co-workers say? They're upset. They're saying, no, we want you to still bring this man in. But then Nicodemus sticks up for Jesus and says, this man deserves a proper hearing. Before you just go and falsely accuse him of something he didn't do, give him a proper hearing. So we begin to see Nicodemus' life change a little bit. But then something powerful happens. Look with me in John 19. John 19, verse 38. It says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus was brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Wow. We see here that Nicodemus had been changed. He was with Joseph of Arimathea, and he was the first person there to be at the side of Jesus' body after the death. He wanted to bury Jesus and give him a proper burial. He even spent a ton of money so that he would have the right smell to it. And he wanted to be there to make sure Jesus' body was placed properly. This shows that Nicodemus got it. But it took Jesus to change him. It took Jesus to take the time to explain to him that he needed a heart transformation. But Nicodemus understood it. I close with this example. There was a guy named Bill Walton. Bill Walton was the co-founder of the Holiday Inns. And he was the main speaker at a convention full of young businessmen, Christian businessmen, between the ages of 35 and 45. And Bill Walton, before he got up to speak, was listening in on a conversation with these young men. And the young men were talking about how busy they were. They kept saying, I don't have time for my family. I don't have time for fun. I rarely even have time to eat. I'm so busy at work. I'm just trying to make a living. Well, about 30 to 45 minutes after listening in on this conversation, Bill Walton gets up and speaks before the crowd and he says this. He says, young men, it is true that I helped start one of the largest corporations and most successful corporations in America. And then he said, it is also true That every morning I would get to my office at 7 a.m. And I would rarely get home before 10 o'clock at night. His posture drooped. And with quivering lips, he said, I never saw one of my children's little league baseball games. He paused. He took a deep breath. And then he began looking at the room as if he were looking at the future. And after regaining his composure... He put his fist in the air and said, young men, I exhort you, don't let this happen to you.
The amazing thing about Bill Walton's story is this. He was changed by the gospel. And when he looked back on his past mistakes, he could have easily beat himself up over neglecting his family for so many years. But because the gospel changed him from the inside out, he realized it's never too late to change. And he began loving his family. He began setting his priorities straight. He began trusting that the Holy Spirit would work in his life and in his family's life. And he actually was able to help so many and has been to this day, has been able to help so many young businessmen and women to prioritize well and to focus on Jesus Christ. The story is profound because he could have easily given up, but he didn't. He owned his mistakes. He began trusting in Jesus and now is still restoring this relationship with his family. This is what the gospel does to us. It helps us not to beat ourselves up. But instead, it helps us to move forward. And we're about to sing this song. We're going to close with today. It says this. It says, I lift my hands to believe again. You are my refuge. You are my strength. As I pour out my heart, these things I remember. You are faithful God forever. Let us be encouraged that he is our refuge and that he is our strength. That he will be faithful until the end. So don't lose heart and trust in him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is just like one of us. Just like many modern day Americans who have a lot of knowledge. They have degrees, high school degree, college, master's, even doctorate degrees. They may have a lot of wealth. They may be successful, but they may not really fully know you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will... Uh, redeem our soul from the pit of emptiness, that you will restore our soul from death, that you will revive our soul and give us enthusiasm for you. Give us assurance that you are with us, that you never leave us and that you never forsake us. And I pray that you'll continue to uh, turn our heads upward instead of downward. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We at University Presbyterian Church thank you for listening to this message. Our mission is to help people know God, grow together, and serve others. To learn more about the church or how to have a vital relationship with God, visit our website at www.upc-orlando.com or call our offices at 407-384-3300.